Genesis chapter 16, story of Hagar and Ishmael. And starting in verse 1, I'll read through, and it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and he had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid's maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, and the Egyptian, and Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will exceeding, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Shall we pray to begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives to us. Thank you for all of scripture. And Father, as we look at this passage, I pray that we might just be reminded of what uh, you are doing in our lives and help us to know that you are always present and e evident of the details. And so Father, we just pray that you would help us to trust you when we don't know what is going on. But Father, may we just depend upon your promises and may we look to you for answers and guidance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What do you do when God's plan is not working? Here we have the setting. God has told Abram that his biological offspring will number like the stars. Sarai has been barren for 10 years before this and that the promise was given in the covenant. She is now 75 years old. And she possessed a maidservant, Hagar, that they acquired from Egypt. And uh, Sarai, as we look at her, some would say, oh, she is just a homemaker. But she, this was an intelligent woman. Understand that her name means princess. She had the same father as Abram. So when down in Egypt says, oh, my half-sister, my sister, half-sister at that time, understand they had the same father. But 1 Peter 3, 6 noted, um, we can look at that passage and see that Sarai, some characteristics, she was noted for her submission. 
um, arranging under. And this is remarkable when you choose to submit to another when you are as educated or possess talents, leadership, qualities, really understanding positionally who Sarai is. Sarai is just not a woman, and she is an intelligent, bright young woman. And we can look at different opportunities where she interacts. And we will look here even in this passage. And so as we start off with understanding the scenario, the situation, what is taking place? Because as we, as we give the question, what do you do when God's plan is not working? I think many of us have probably asked that question. What do we do? How do I know what God's will is for my life? What do I do now? Because sometimes we like to organize, we like to plan, we like to prepare, but things don't always work out the way we want them to. It would be nice if, uh, you know, God gave us, oh, this is what's going to take place, this is what's going to happen. It reminds me of, um, you know, the time where uh, a woman was um, in the hospital and uh, she was having a procedure done and she was fearful and she was scared and she's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she prayed to God and God, you know, will you, will you let me know? Am I going to live? Is, what are things going to take place? And, and she says, um, um, God answers her, this, this isn't true. But God answers and says, don't worry, you're going to live for 20 more years. And so she goes, oh, that's great. So she's like, while I'm here, I'm going to have some other cosmetic surgery. I'm going to have my hair done, have nails done, goes out. And she's like, leaves the hospital after the procedure, a totally changed, transformed woman. And she goes out. Um, she steps across the street. She goes out and she gets hit by a bus. Now, that's kind of a sad story. She goes before God and says, God, what happened? I thought, you know, I had 20 more years. And God says, oh, I didn't recognize you. Obviously, we know that's not how it works, but understanding if we knew what God's plan was for our life, I think we would live very differently. We would live less faithful. And so, but here we have the context of Sarai. As she comes, she, she understands what is taking place. She knows the promises that are given to Abram, but she also doesn't understand how she can biologically give an offspring. She's 75 years old. And so as we look at um, what is taking place, the first point we see and understand, I think that is relevant here, is that women experience pressure that affects their understanding of self-worth. And what I want to express for that, as we see here, Sarai, and, and as I look at it, even contemporary, the situation of where women are at, you know, the pressure that is put on to look a certain way. Um, we have women who are professionals, and uh, they have to act professional, but yet they also have to be a mother. They have to be an individual. They have to be a wife. And there's pressures on them in their roles. Riley, advance that slide, please. And so keep going. Keep going. We're on the next page. Thank you. So we're on the next page. As you look at the slide, the first point is keep going to the next slide. They experience pressures that can affect their understanding and self-worth. And so one of the things as she is presented with is that she is a reminder of the past and what is taking place. She is barren, and she has been for 10 years. Think about her whole um, life. 70, she's 75, and she hasn't had children. And back at that time, it was important for women to have children. As they enter into the marriage relationship, even as we think about the act of intercourse, it was to have um, children because it was part of existence, and so the role of women. And so looking at that, that she is reminded of that. Ten years have passed since that promise has been given to Sarai and Abram. Guess what? You are going to have biological children. And she's confronted with that. 
And uh, even as we think of it in our own lives, there's times if, if you're married today, sometimes um, as couples, it's like, oh, when are you going to get married? Then it's, uh, when are you going to have children? Then when are you going to have more children? Then the next question, when are you going to have grandchildren? It's, it keeps on. There's always pressure that people have. But as for women as well, she, she understood those, even, even societal, what that would have been. But she probably assessed the present situation. Remember, she had been barren. She was still barren. She, ten years have passed since the Abrahamic covenant. Since in, back in chapter 12, early on, the promises had been given. Since the time they'd been in Canaan, the promised land, here they are, and she still doesn't have an offspring. No, no one to carry on the name. So many, as we look at the situation, she seeks a solution. She may have wanted to reassure herself that maybe she wasn't the problem. Anytime that there is barrenness in a marriage, that presents pressures and, uh, and um, tension. But here, we see here that what is taking place is that she, um, she's referred to as a wife and a concubine, which is only in Genesis, but the lack of distinguishing the two positions. Here she is, and she is a wife, and she is not fulfilling as she interprets it, her role. And so that pressure that would have taken place. And so understanding even her uh, relationship between God, what, what is taking place. We see in verse 1 where it says, um, she had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she, she makes a decision to say, hey, I am going to provide Hagar. Or maybe it's through Hagar. She's trying to fix the problem. If you've ever been around someone who is a problem solver or someone who likes to figure out solutions. And we see here what takes place is that in our second point is that we must understand that God's timing is perfect. We must understand that God's timing is perfect. Verse 2 through 6, Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me? Or excuse me, verse chapter 16, Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. What would have taken place, it would have adopted uh, that child. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife took Sarai, doesn't even name Hagar, took, um, Abram's wife took, um, Sarah took her and her Egyptian slave and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. In the Hebrew, we don't necessarily understand if it was that she looked contemptuously on, um, on Sarai because she had delivered a child, and here you are the mother, you are the wife, and you didn't fulfill your role. So we don't necessarily know. It isn't clear. Um, or if more Sarai felt positionally what is taking place because of, hey, how come she is all of a sudden Hagar, who was just a servant slave girl, is now elevated to the position of wife. And so anytime, you know, the two women get in a household, it can cause tension as well in understanding what is taking place there. But as we look at this situation, we must understand that God's timing is perfect. Sarah really sacrificed herself to help her husband. And uh, it, was, it sometimes was practiced at that time. But as we see God's timing, God's timing is perfect. Man's timing, mankind's timing is different. 
And usually mankind's timing is reactionary. We react, react or respond to circumstances. It reminds me of a time there was a fellow who had been hired as a new CEO of a large tech corporation. The CEO was stepping down and met privately um, with this uh, new CEO and presented him with three numbered envelopes. Open one of these if you should run into a problem you don't think you can solve, he said. And then he went off. Well, things went along pretty smoothly for a while, but six months later, sales took a downturn and he was really catching a lot of heat. About at his wits, he remembered the envelope. So he went to his drawer, took out the first envelope. The message read, blame your predecessor. The new CEO took out a press conference and tactfully laid the blame at the feet of the previous CEO. Satisfied with his comments, the press and Wall Street responded positively. Sales began to pick up, and the problem was soon behind him. About a year later, the company was experiencing a slight dip in sales again, combined with serious product problems. Having learned from his previous experience, the CEO quickly opened the second envelope. The message read, reorganize. And he did that, and the company quickly rebounded. After, a few, after several consecutive profitable quarters, the company once again fell on hard times. The CEO went to his office, closed the door, opened the third envelope. The message said, prepare three envelopes. So as we look at timing, you know, and as far as we respond, God's timing is perfect, but... You know, mankind, we don't know what takes place. We don't know what the situation, circumstances hold. But here, as we see Sarah, she doesn't understand what God is doing. And so, first of all, she offers Hagar as her surrogate. Says, here, take Sarai. Sarah says, here, take Hagar, you know, and the maidservant. And she would have been a possession at that time, understanding and uh, to bear children, and then what happens is maybe I can bear children by adopting this child, which was common practice would have been at that time. But she also tries to fix the problem, and she fixes the problem. She actually fixes the problem because now, guess what? There's a biological offspring from Abram. But she feels resentment, you know, not being able to have children, the whole understanding of self-worth. And she was, would have been the primary wife at that time. Verse 4, where it says... In chapter 16, verse 4, it says, And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Another way of saying that could be um, that she lost status in her estimation. All of a sudden, guess what? You're not the primary wife. You're not the one who fulfilling children. All of a sudden, I am, and I have that privilege. And so maybe this is the child of promise that uh, God had given. She didn't know. And so... What happens is we see the response. She responds sinfully instead of spiritually. She's angry and wants Abram to fix the situation. She changes her status from wife back to slave. She says, Abraham says, I don't know what to do. You know, here, just take her. She's back yours. Really revokes the title of wife and says, now she's back your slave. And so Sarai mistreats Hagar and she runs away and uh, mistreats her. And so we, now we come to the next one. But we must understand that God's timing is perfect because as we look at the present situation, sometimes we like to try to fix these problems. We like to try to work and be the Holy Spirit. Say, maybe this is what God works. I can relate to this. You know the saying, when God um, closes a door, he what? Opens a window. And sometimes we think, oh, well, guess what? Well, have you tried to crawl out a window lately? I don't know. I'm getting a little older. Well, there you go. See? You're a little younger than I am, but sometimes it's fun to get out a window. 
But as we get older, sometimes that window might be a small portal window, a little window. We think, oh, there's a crack there. I'm going to get out there because this must be what God wants me to do. And we try to bust through there. But we must understand that it's in God's timing. Maybe he opens that opportunity as we see it, but that might not necessarily be what God desires for us to go. He might open this window while there's another door over here. It's a garage door. That's a lot easier to go through. But we see this, oh, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And then there's some where every exit is open and we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to go out because God wants me to be here. But as we look at God's timing, his timing is perfect. And some of us are patient. Some of us need more prodding than others. Some of us are very spontaneous and we're out the first opening there is. But we must trust God and be sensitive to his leading in our life. And I think that's an important lesson as we look at, at just where Sarah is at. But also we, under, we see the transition. And the third thing we look at is that God sees and knows what we are facing. In verses 7 um, through 16, in chapter 16, the focus shifts to Hagar. All of a sudden we have a servant girl who is from Egypt. She has gone and befriended and treated very well, and all of a sudden she's mistreated. And she's with child, and she doesn't know what, we, what she is to do. So she runs away. And uh, it's important that we see here that God sees and knows what we are facing. And I think Hagar is a very good illustration of this because God sees and knows what we are facing. Hagar experiences a true God. And God sees everything and knows what we are facing. However, sometimes God keeps us isolated from the truth because it would affect our level of faith. It reminds me of the story of the broken down car. Back in, in an, a rural area of Ohio, an out-of-towner accidentally drives his car into a deep ditch and is at the side of a country road and falls right into this ditch and can't get it out. Luckily, a farmer happened by with his big old horse named Benny. And the man asked for help. He said, hey, um, you know, my car went off the side of the road. I didn't know this curb was here. Can you help me out? So the farmer said Benny could pull his car out. So he backs Benny up to this car and hitches up Benny to the man's bumper and undercarriage, tries to get ready to be able to pull him out. Then he yells, pull, Nelly, pull. Benny didn't move. Then he yelled, come on, Ranger, you can do it. Still, Benny didn't move. Then he yelled out really loud, now, Fred, pull hard. Benny just stood still. Then the farmer nonchalantly said, okay, Benny, pull. All of a sudden, Benny starts to work and pull and flex his muscles, and he pulls the car out. The man was very appreciative that his car is out, but he's very curious. He asked the farmer why he had called his horse by the wrong three names. The farmer said, oh, Benny's blind, and if he thought he was the only one pulling, he would never try. Well, sometimes that's how we are, humanly speaking. God has to prevent us from seeing the greater picture because it would affect our faith. We wouldn't necessarily respond to him appropriately. And here we see a revelation that Hagar experiences the true God. And it's important because as we see first here, the, what we learn is that suffering is a part of God's plan. There are those who will say, oh, Christianity, when you come to Christ, everything is perfect. It's like playing your country music um, backwards. You know, you're going to get your car back, your wife back, your dog back, everything, right? But no, Christianity, as, you, as a person comes to Christ, it's important to understand that there are going to be difficult situations. You know, whether you know Christ, whether you don't know Christ, there's going to be difficult times. 
But the benefit is, the blessing is that we know that God is with us. He has a plan. We are a characteristic that we can learn to trust him. And that it is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to honor him, but also understand ourselves. Because we're placed in positions that we might not think that we could ever excel. I've often used the illustration of CPR. There's some who have trained to use CPR, but never had to use it until they get into that situation and all of a sudden the endorphins and they're in a panic, but they remember those responses. And often we don't know how will we, we will respond until we are in a crisis or an emergency situation. But yet with the power of God, the peace that passeth all understanding, it is the spirit of God working in us that can enable us, that can help us be successful and trusting in him. But when it comes to suffering, when it comes to, to loss, when it comes to difficult circumstances, with God's help, we can understand that. And here in the text, it says, Hagar, I want you to respond and take that abuse. I want you to go ahead. And if it were us, we wouldn't respond in that way. We'd say, no way. I'm not going to do that. But he also gives hope and says, there is blessing. Your child is going to be a great nation as well. And understand that uh, it is the will of God that you would follow and return to them and do that. And the next thing we see as well, not only the suffering, but the humility brings reward. As we see here, humility brings reward. In verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And goes on to give the future prediction of what this child will be. He may roam, but he will be a nation. And humble yourselves, respond in a way which will honor God, and there will be blessing because of that. That affliction or cry of affliction, that word refers to barrenness and could refer to the state of humiliation. So that's where it is to humble yourself, to put you into a position where you are willingly going to be wronged. Most of us don't want to put ourselves in a position where we know that we're going to be wronged when it's not our fault. But yet when we understand that God is in control, that God is with us, that you are not being wronged for something that you have done. Think about Job and all that he suffered and endured as a righteous man. And he was, by his closest friends, said that, you know what, you need to confess your sin. And his wife said, just curse God and die. But understand it was not because of his sin, because God was using him as an example and sometimes we might not always understand the circumstances that we are placed in, but we can understand and trust that God is in control and that when we are facing temptation or when we are facing trials, if we respond in a way which demonstrates our complete trust in God, that in honoring him, we will see, we will be victorious, but we will understand that there is blessing afterwards. And as we look at this, she has given insight to the future her child she will bear. He will have a nomadic and difficult life, but he will also become a great nation. And she also is willing to return. And the other part of it is that as a runaway slave, she could be facing death. It doesn't say that, guess what, you know what, you'll be fine. But she understands that, guess what, her child, she will survive. But we know that uh, there is a plan and future for this child. And so the last thing we see here is that Hagar memorializes her encounter with God. 
And this encounter with God, as she sees here, the angel of the Lord. It is used in the Old Testament. It's used 58 times. And the angel of God is used 11 times in the Old Testament. It is, and we must understand, it's a representation of God, not a representative of God. And the difference is there are times where there's distinct difference. God created angels. We have Michael, Gabriel, other angels. But here, the angel of the Lord specifically refers to a representation of God. And as she is faced with this encounter, I mean, think about the, it is a privilege, but also a fear. Because anytime there was a spiritual encounter with God, most people fell on their face and said, don't kill me, I've seen God. And here, as she uses this term in, here, um, in the God who sees, you are the God who sees. And it is, it's picturing, it's similar to the picture of when putting in the crack and all of a sudden God passes by and just sees the back of it. Did not see face to face as Moses talks about, but just being able to see a part of this God. That's kind of how the shadow it refers to in the vocabulary as she terms it. But the angel, this angel knows her name, her position. As we see is conf uh, the confrontation, the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, and excuse me, going back earlier, it says, Verse 7, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And he says to her, calls her by name, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, that's not to say, oh, see, God doesn't know where she's at. Obviously, the interaction, the exchange of that. It is an interaction that God knows, and he interacts with her and uses that as an opportunity to converse with her. But God knows all of her circumstances. And we see here from that encounter, as she responds correctly, she memorializes and said, at this well, it is the God who sees or the God who hears. She personalizes it. And then we come down to verse 13 and 14 where it says, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. And as we look at what takes place here, it says here in verse 14 through 16, the well of the one who lives and sees me. And so she would have stopped there at a place to get water. But it is the personal encounter with God. And what they did back at the time, we know that they memorialized. Sometimes they put rocks. Sometimes they put their reminder. And I think it's a, it's a visible reminder of the encounter with the Holy God. That's why sometimes early on there was scripture in our homes or sometimes there's a verse or footprints. And those characteristics that uh, help decorate our homes, they're a reminder of what God has done in our life. Sometimes we memorialize through pictures or souvenirs. Hey, I've been to uh, this country and I brought back this. And uh, this rock, or this is from the Dead Sea, or, or this is from Eastern Europe, part of the Berlin Wall, or this is from Asia. And we bring those in the reminders of a time that was spent. We need to do the same thing in our spiritual lives. Understand when God comforts us, when God gives us a time of peace, they're reminders of what he has done. And it helps us to remember the fact that he is there and he knows and sees all. Because there's plenty in our lives where we're going to times where we face circumstances. 
and situations. Hey, God, are you there? Are you listening? You're quiet. And what do we do? Because this is what this message is about. What are you doing? It doesn't seem like God's plan is working. And I title that just so that, as we think, when, when God's plan isn't working. Well, God's plan is always working. But what happens is from the divine perspective, that's so much different because he sees, again, the past, the present, and the future. But from the human perspective, we only see the past and we see the present. And those visible reminders of the past help reinforce our faith to trust him for our future. Because it's like entering into a dark cavern. We can't see what lies ahead of us. And so God says, walk through. And it's like, wait, I can't see where I'm going. You know, you get down low, try to find correct footing, or am I going to run into something? It's like going through your house at night. You know, it's one thing to go through your house at night. You can pretty much go through and determine, okay, I won't run into this or I won't run into that. But imagine if you're in a different um, place where they have lots of kids and they leave Legos all over. Oh, wait a second, you know, now my feet, what will I step on? Am I going to run into something? You know, you're not sure. And that's the picture. As we go through life, there are obstacles, there are challenges that we face, but we can trust the God who knows the way. And as we go through, it's important that we, we understand what do we do when God's plan does not seem to be fulfilled, when it does not seem to be working. Well, I think from the lessons that we see here, it's important to, first of all, have patience. Trust God. Be encouraged. Spend time in prayer in the Word of God and with others who will strengthen our faith. And it's important because if we were to look at Galatians 4, and you can do that. Galatians 4 goes back and kind of looks at the parallel of the two, um, Hagar and has Ishmael. And that's a picture that Paul uses of the old covenant, trying to follow after the law. But yet in the new covenant, that we are all under children of God, the fact that he has allowed us to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that is a blessing because he knows what we are going through. And his plan is being fulfilled even if we do not see it. And so we must be faithful. What is our role when we don't know what the plan is? Surround yourself and just look at some of those characteristics as, as we see here. Directives. Be in the word. Be with others who will strengthen your faith. But understand also it may not be easy. It may not be quick, but know that God is working out his perfect plan and will in your life. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. And Father, as you have called us to trust you when circumstances are not easy, I pray that we might be able to do that. Help us to be in your word, to be in prayer. And I pray that you would help us to understand that your perfect plan is perfect and ours isn't. While our plan may look good, may, we may have thought of every detail, Father, you are the one who sees all and knows all. And so when our plans are diverted and when you are working in our life and we don't always understand the way, we don't understand why you allow things to come into our life, why you allow maybe people to pass or, or sicknesses or, or illnesses or even the loss of jobs or, or friends that respond in ways that are sinful. God, we know that uh, you have a plan in all of it. And sometimes it's not all about us. 
And we have to remove that, that sinfulness, that selfishness. Sometimes you desire that we would respond in a way to be a witness and example to others around us. And that can be more powerful. God may be working in, in our life to help someone else come to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if, if things, difficult times occur, you don't know what would happen to you. If you were to pass from this earth today, you wouldn't be in heaven. Maybe that's you this morning. Just encourage you to say, you know what? If I were to die today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Just ask it in your seat. Just slip your hand up, put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out, but just would encourage you to, to confront this and come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do it today. We've got people who would talk with you. We've got little booklets in the back. You can do it in your seat. It's simply acknowledging that you're a sinner and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he can give you the gift of eternal life. If you're here this morning and says, I'm not sure about that, just slip your hand up, put it back down. All I'm going to do is simply pray for you. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you've been facing some difficult circumstances. Maybe a loved one is going through a difficult time. Maybe you are just facing some harassment at work or, or other challenges. And just simply haven't always responded well and just simply would encourage you to say, hey, pray for me. Our desire is that you would grow in your walk and that uh, you would understand that God is working in and through your life. And here this morning you have the opportunity to just commit that to God. We don't always respond in the best way and maybe we're fearful and maybe we don't know and just to encourage you, hey, you know what, I'm in need of pray, pr prayer. Pray for me this morning. Just slip your hand up, put it back down. Just simply want to pray for you. This is just an opportunity for each of us to come into a better understanding of what God has for our life. We're not going to understand everything that occurs in our life, but we can understand more about the God that allows that to occur, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, and help us to respond in a way which will honor him. And Father, just pray for each one here this morning. You know where they're at. You see and know them better than anyone else on this physical earth. You know their sins. You know their benefits and blessings. You know their gifts and talents. And Father, just pray that they might turn to you and to allow you to use them. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.